morning we start a three-week little mini-series on thanks and giving. We've titled it Thanks and Giving, and you'll notice we've separated the two words. We're not calling it Thanksgiving. We're calling it Thanks and Giving, and we've done that on purpose. We believe that as Christians, we ought to be the most thankful people on planet Earth. Amen? But we also should be the most giving people on earth. Amen? Both of those should be true. And the reality is, the more thankful we are, the more, more giving we will be. The more we understand the, the reality of what God has done for us and what God has given us, we in turn, as we thank Him and praise Him, will become more gracious givers. And so in this series, we're going to be focusing on both of those aspects. Each one of our sermons will be a sermon that focuses on thanks and a sermon, a, a, a focus on giving. This first passage we're going to be looking at this morning is in Luke chapter 17. If you have not already turned there or flipped there on your device, I would ask that you would do that. We're going to read verses 7 through 19 together. And then we're going to break this down and look at it and, and see what, what it reveals to us about thanks and giving. Verse 7 of Luke chapter 17, Jesus is speaking. And he says, will any one of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he comes in from the field, Come at once and recline at table. Will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink and afterwards you will eat and drink? Does he thank the servant because he did what he was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee, and he entered a village, and he, met, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. And then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. And then Jesus answered, Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Now there is a deep point, a deep, deep point in this story that reveals the issue with the Jewish nation at the time. That is not the point of the message. If you would like to dig a little deeper in that, 
um, you can. But there is a deep message here. When Jesus says, has no one returned but this foreigner, this was not a knock on the foreigner. This was a statement of the condition of Israel at the time. But we'll leave that there for today. Now, you may be wondering, Neil, why didn't you just start in verse 11? Right. Why didn't you just start with the story of the 10 lepers? Why did you start with a parable before that? Just start with the story and let's get into it. But I think Luke wrote or, or placed this parable right before the story of the 10 lepers on purpose. So I, I think he did this for a specific reason. I don't think it's arbitrary that you get this story, this parable that seems a little out of place if you, if you don't piece it together with what comes after. So I think Luke takes this parable and he links it together with the story of the 10 lepers to really tell a much bigger story or to get across something very, very important, to, to make a larger point. And I think here is the larger point that Luke wants to get across. We are to understand that God does not owe us anything. God does not owe us anything. The parable points out that there is this servant, and this servant is responsible for honoring the master. He, he has to honor the master and obey the commands of the master, whether he is outside plowing or taking care of sheep. Or when he comes in from the field and has to work in the house by serving the master dinner. So this servant is required to honor the master. That We clear on that. And Jesus says, if you're the master and the servant comes in from taking care of the sheep or the servant comes in from plowing the field, you don't say, hey, why don't you sit down at the table with me and have dinner? You say, okay, now go make me my dinner. The reason why the servant is to be obedient to the master is because he's a servant, not the master. Jesus says this weird question. Does he, does he thank the servant because he's done what he's commanded? Now you read that and you're like, well, that's kind of mean. Like this guy's plowing your field and he's taking care of your sheep and he's cooking you dinner and you're not even going to say thank you. Well, I don't think that's the point Jesus is making. He's not like, don't say thank you to people when they do something nice for you. That's not his point. So what is his point? Why this question? What, what is he trying to get across? I think the answer is the master doesn't owe anything to the servant. The servant actually owes to the master. Do you know why people put themselves into indentured servitude in the Bible? We talked about this um, maybe a year ago when we talked about biblical uh, slavery and how, how it's so different from what we understand as slavery. This, the reason why this servant is working for a master is because this servant got in debt to the master. He owes the master money and he doesn't have the money to pay him back. So you know how he pays him back? By working for him. So this servant is out in the field plowing and taking care of sheep because he owes money to this master. He's his boss. He's paying him back. So he doesn't come in from working and the master goes, I am so thankful for you. You are just so... No, he's doing his duty. 
He's doing what he's supposed to do because he owes the master money. And he, he's not like, hey, I know you've worked hard. Why don't you sit on down? He's like, no, you got more work to do because you got stuff you still owe me. Go in there and work in the kitchen and get the food ready and come out and serve me. So he's not speaking about being unthankful or ungrateful. He's teaching a point that if you are a servant, you owe the master. The master doesn't owe you anything. And if we flip that upside down, we're messing everything up. Spiritually speaking, nothing happens to us or nothing that we do makes God owe us anything. It's so easy for us to say, God, I've been I've done this for you and I've done this for you and I've done this for you and I've done this for you. And this is how you repay me. Whoa, 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 whoa. He doesn't repay. He doesn't repay you anything. You've you've flipped the the roles. You've you've messed it up. He doesn't owe you anything. You being obedient to God is simply your duty as a creation to a creator. We are the creatures. We are to obey God because we are the creatures. That is our position. Ooh, our flesh doesn't like that. Our flesh doesn't like that. We're always thinking somebody owes us something. We're the servant. He's the master. We're the creation. He's the creator. He doesn't owe us anything. Even, by the way, even when you try to serve God properly, how often do you not do it the way you should? As if God should just go, you know what, since you did this thing for me, I just, I just need to make sure that you get that job you wanted. <laughs> You've done this thing for me. I just want to make sure that, that that extra bonus check was coming in the mail. Oh, what? You, you, you loved me and you served me. You went to church last week and you even tithed. Because you tithed, you know what I'm going to do for you? I'm going to make sure that date that you're going on next week works out and that's the person of your dreams. <laughs> we may not say it. That's certain, certainly the way that if we're not tempted, we carry ourselves. I've done this for God, so God should do this for me. No, God doesn't owe you anything. When my children were younger, they would say things like, well, that's not fair. And I would say to them, this is harsh. I ain't going to lie to you. This was harsh. I would say to my kids, you don't want fair. Fair is we all go to hell. Like, well, that's a little harsh. I just wanted a bigger piece of pie. I mean, I don't know why you're, I just, what the heck? Jumping all over me. I'm just, I just wanted a little, little bigger piece of cookie cake. I mean, my goodness, dad. But I, I wanted to drill into their heads this, to get rid of this notion that life is, uh, that, that God owes us some kind of thing. And, and I heard this when I was at Criswell and it's so true. Life is always fair. It's always fair, just not always equal. But it's always fair. The fact that you're not dead and in hell right now means God is being really, really gracious with you. So if you're kind of piecing the puzzles together, you're like, oh, wait a minute. Maybe now I see why this parable is there before the story of the lepers. Jesus doesn't owe those lepers anything. Jesus doesn't owe me anything. 
He doesn't have to travel through that area. He doesn't have to go to that village, that outcast village of of lepers. He He doesn't owe them anything. So if Jesus does anything for them, it is grace and mercy. And if God has done anything for you, it is infinite grace and mercy. And we don't get to say we've earned it or we've, we've, we, we have somehow worked enough that God has to give it to us or repay us. The fact of the matter is the fact that you are drawing breath and your brain and internal organs are working means God is being infinitely gracious to you right now. We have to understand God does not owe us anything. But I think... That these lepers thought that since Jesus was the Messiah and what he does is help people and free people and heal people, he ought to make us clean. This is what he does. And he ought to do it for us. The parables, this parable is telling us that's the wrong perspective. It is our duty to serve and obey God. We need to have a humble attitude in our lives, an attitude that removes any pride that makes us think we have earned something from God. Now I think we're ready for the story. That makes sense? Now I think we come to the story and we'll think about it a little differently. So two things I want us to see. I want us to be like the one leper that came back and I want us to be like Jesus. Right. I want us to be thankful like the leper and I want us to be gracious like the Messiah. So first, let's look at how we should be gracious like the Messiah. Verse 12 says he entered a village and there he met 10 lepers. Lepers in the first century were subject to horrific physical and emotional pain. We see the emotional pain here. They lived outside of the main city in a village basically full of homeless people. These people, these these lepers had lost everything. They could not live with anybody else. Anything that they had was gone. They lived in a leper colony basically as homeless people. They were outcast. This meant that all of the national and class distinctions that normally separated people didn't hold anymore. Jew or Gentile, rich or poor, man or woman, powerful or powerless, everyone now was in the same horrible condition. It didn't matter how much money you used to have or how big your house used to be, you, it's gone and you're now in a leper colony. It didn't matter if you were a Jew or a Gentile, if if you had power or you didn't have power. None of that mattered. You were now in a leper colony. You were an outcast. This is why they stood at a distance. Did you know that lepers were not allowed to get within 50 yards of another human being that didn't have leprosy? That is stay away from people. 150 feet, 50 paces away from other people. But it wasn't just the emotional or the physical pain. It was also the spiritual pain that was a part of this. They were no longer able to participate in religious ceremonies. If you can't get with people, you can't participate in religious ceremonies. 
You were constantly considered ceremonially, ceremonially unclean. And that could never be taken away. It couldn't be, it couldn't be done with. That was your condition. You were an unclean spiritual person. Leviticus 13, 45 and 46 says this, the leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose and he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. And he shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. What a terrible existence. By the way, they were also deformed because of this disease. Often, lepers would go without eyes, ears, nose, hands, and feet because they would literally rot off. Dr. J.E.H. Thompson was a missionary involved in many biblical literary publications, and he once wrote about his time in Palestine encountering a leper colony. I want to read you what he wrote. Sauntering down the Jaffa Road on my distinct idea in my head, I was startled out of my reverie by the sudden apparition of a crowd of beggars without eyes, nose, or hair. They held up their, their handless arms. Unearthly sounds gurgled through their throats with pallets. In a word, I was horrified. Can you imagine the life and the look of these ten lepers? It was like being dead while living, or better yet, just waiting to die. This is the state of the men that we're talking about here. And everyone avoided them, except one guy, except one man. He wasn't like everybody else. He didn't avoid the outcast. He was full of compassion and love and grace for those that everyone else discarded. Let me point out three things from our text that I think makes it very clear, the compassion and the love and grace and the difference that Jesus was compared to everybody else. Number one, Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. It says that in verse 11. Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. And you may think, well, that's not really a big statement. That's not a big idea. Like, why are you even pointing that out? Do you know why he was going to Jerusalem? to die. This was the last trek to death. He was on his way to do the most terrifying thing any human being has ever done. The wrath of God for sin was going to be placed upon Jesus. He was going to be beaten. He was going to hang on a cross. All of this was going to happen to him. This was what was staring him in the face in front of him. This was the task he was headed to Jerusalem for. The weight that must have been on Jesus as he's headed toward Jerusalem. And yet, he stopped down to deal with these 10 lepers. No one, no one would have said a word about it if he just decided to pass them by and go to Jerusalem. 
No one would have said, oh, Jesus, you're not being nice or you're not being kind. You're not being compassionate. It simply would have been what everyone expected him to do, especially the disciples who knew where he was going, even if they didn't understand it all. But with the weight of the worst thing that has ever happened to a human being in front of him, he showed compassion for other people. We're such a busy people these days, aren't we? I know I'm busy. I know you're probably busy. We live in a busy world. Everything seems to be coming at us faster and faster than it's ever come at us before. Our culture is just a fast-paced culture. And if we are not careful, we can allow our busyness to make us selfish. Because we're always thinking about the next thing I got to do, the next thing I got to do, the next thing I got to do. And we're just passing people by who need compassion and love and grace and mercy. And we're busy and we don't even see them. Jesus has the greatest weight that any, any human being has ever had on him. And he still saw people. Do, how should I say this? We need to make sure that our busyness does not prevent us from our business, which is loving and giving and being gracious. That is our business. That is what we have, have been created and recreated to do. It's in the Christmas carol a little bit. Man is my business. Loving people is my business. Scrooge thought it was the money. I know it ain't Christmas time, but thought it was the money. He thought it was the, the stuff, and he, he counted it meticulously, and he, he lorded over it. And what did Marley say to him? Oh, but man should have been our business, not the money. The people should have been our business. And you've lived seven years longer than I have. Think how big your chains are going to be, buddy. So we can't let our busyness prevent us from being about our business. We can't allow this thing to happen. We've got to be like Jesus. On our way to do one thing, and we see people who need us, who need love. Second thing, verse 12, it says... He was met by 10 lepers, but the literal translation reads, he was met by 10 men who had leprosy. Ooh, what a difference. He was met by 10 lepers. He was met by 10 men who had leprosy. See, one is identifying them with their disease. The other is seeing them as image bearers of God who have a disease. You see the difference? It's easy to pass by a leper. They're a leper. Not so easy to pass by an image bearer of God worthy of dignity, honor, and respect, and you just walk by them and not love them. And I talked about this in my class today. Pause. I talked about this in my class today, and I will rant on it until the Lord stops giving me breath. 
I do not care your political affiliation. I do not care how bad your neighbor is. I do not care if you live in an area where insurgents are trying to kill you and your family. You have been called by God, called by God to see them as image bearers who need the gospel. Period. And, and, and we can make all the excuses we want to. We can be like Jonah if we want to. Or we can say, I've got a higher calling than this. I'm not supposed to see these people as just lepers, as just sinners. That I can treat however I'd like to and talk about them however I'd like to and dismiss them if I'd like to. God, don't you know who they are? They are image bearers of God that are worthy of dignity, honor, and respect. And through the gospel of Jesus Christ and the fruit of the Spirit, we need to see them as such. So often we don't. Jesus treated them, everybody else treated them as less than human, not Jesus. Everybody else saw them as lepers. He saw them as men who had leprosy. This is how we must be in our giving. See people as holding the value that they have in the eyes of Jesus, not judging them or writing them off, but loving them with our graciousness. Third thing that lets me know Jesus was different than everybody else is that Jesus had the ability to know the future. Don't you think about this? He walks up to these 10 men who had leprosy and he's going to heal them, knowing Nine of them would never thank him for it. Nine of these men would leave and never think about it again. And he healed them anyway. Because his, his healing, his giving, his love wasn't based on what they were going to give back to him. See, that's not what love is. Love isn't, I'll do this for you as long as you give it back to me. Love is, I'm going to do this for you because it honors the Lord, and this is what I've been called to do. Jesus heals them knowing nine of them were not going to come back and say thank you. And he gives to them anyway. You know, as parents, there are so many times, and I'm, I know when I was a child, my parents did the same thing for me, where my, my kids would act in such a way that they do not deserve for me to keep loving them in this moment. Like, I just want to write them off, do something that makes them pay for the attitude they have. I'm going to go run sprints, do something. And aren't there time, parents, when the Lord speaks to your heart and says, grace them anyway? They wanted to do this thing. They threw a fit. Something happened. And, and you, you want to take it away from them. And you're like, you don't deserve to go to this party or go to this friend's house or go to this thing or do this thing or have this thing. And the Lord says, I know. Just grace them anyway. Not, not by what they've given or giving you, because that's what grace is. Our giving Put it this way, our giving, the reason we give is because it's better to give than to receive. So we've got to be like Jesus. We have to not be so busy that we don't think about giving. We have to not see people as 
being identified with the sin or identified with it and, and write them off and, and ostracize them and outcast them, but instead see them as image bearers of God in need of the gospel. And then we should not love to get something back. We should love because that is what we've been called to do. That is what grace does. But we also need to be like the thankful leper that comes back. Then one of them, when he saw he was healed, turned back. So they're on their way to the priest. Jesus walks up and says, go show yourself to the priest. And they're like, well, we still, got le- we still have leprosy. Heal us, and then we'll go show ourselves. He's no, no, that's not what I said. You go show yourself to the priest. And they're like, okay. And as they're going, they get healed. And then one turns back. The word that is translated turn back or returned is used by Luke often in his gospel. And most of the time it is symbolic for conversion to Christ. This man simply didn't turn back physically. He spiritually turned back. He spiritually returned to Jesus. It wasn't just about the healing. It was about the healer. I love that it says he didn't return after he went to the priest. Don't you love that? Jesus like, go show yourself to the priest and then come back. So they're walking. They all get healed. And those guys go to the priest and he's like, forget the priest. The priest didn't heal me. These religious leaders didn't do it for me. I'm going back to the guy who just did this for me. And the other night I was like, well, we're going to the priest. He's like, I don't care where y'all go. I'm going back to Jesus because he's the one that did it for me. He understood what had happened to him. He understood the cause of what had happened to him. He didn't care about the priest. He didn't care about what his friends did. This, in this moment, it was all about Jesus. And it states that he turned back praising God, glorifying God with a loud voice. With a loud voice. You know what kills me sometimes, Christians? Is God saves us better than being healed from leprosy. And we can't get Christians to, to, to even raise their voice about anything. Except the cowboys. But I'm like, wait a minute. Jesus has healed us from our sin and rebellion and wickedness. Maybe we ought to glorify God with a loud voice. This expression, praising God, glorifying God with a loud voice, is used eight times in Luke. Only once in Matthew and once in Mark, but eight times in Luke. And do you know this exact phrase is used in Luke 2? When the angels appeared in the sky to praise God in front of the shepherds. This is the purest form of glorifying God. There wasn't anything pretentious about this. Now, other people may have looked at it and thought this is pretentious. I'm like, look at this guy dancing around, being loud. Didn't even go to the priest. Doesn't, know how, doesn't he know how religion is supposed to be done? Like, he doesn't care. He's like, you can think whatever you want to think about me. 
I've been healed by Jesus. And I, I really don't care what you think. His praise is immediate, it is joyful, it is loud, it is exuberant. But then he does something else when he gets to Jesus. That is also a very Lucan expression. He fell on his face at Jesus' feet. The only place in Jewish tradition that you should fall down at your face is before the altar of God or the king. You think Luke's making a point here? If I'm only supposed to bow down before the altar of God and the king, then who is Jesus? He's both. He is both. Luke seems to be saying this about Jesus. He is king, he is God, and this man knows it. He has truly turned back in every way. And Jesus, after seeing this, says to him in verse 17, Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? These men, no doubt, were religious. They knew where the priests were and what they were supposed to do. They cried out for mercy. They knew where the priests were. But there's a difference between being religious and having your heart melted by the grace of God. You can experience religious things. Hebrews tells us you can taste, you can experience, you can be in church, you can can see what the Holy Spirit is doing and be involved in a service or with a congregation where this thing happens and never truly have your heart melted by the grace of God. These nine men encountered the Messiah face to face. These nine men had been healed by the Messiah They had an interaction with Jesus and did not have their hearts melted by the grace of God. These men were happy to be healed physically and they weren't worried about anything else, including their spiritual condition. They were happy to be cleansed physically. They took Jesus for granted. By the way, this is a microcosm of all humanity. Humanity takes God for granted. Humanity takes the mind, the body that allows you to type or write, and then they make books about how God doesn't exist. Tell me we don't take God for granted. We take God for granted. Romans 1.21, For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Do you know what I think the, one of the telltale characteristics of a lost person? Not being grateful. And a telltale sign that you are now one who honors God with your life is that you are grateful, that you are thankful. 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 2. But I understand this. Then in the last days there will come times of difficulty. Now, when you think of times of difficulty, all kinds of things may pop into your head. Listen to this list. People will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to parents, ungrateful. 
ungrateful. Ingratitude is a way of saying God owes me whatever he gives me and I owe him nothing in return. This is a reversal of the roles of creator and creation. This is not simply a small sin. It is a direct result, a assault on God's glory and refusing to give God the praise and glory that he is due. So church, we must be like the leper who recognizes that we have been graced by the Lord, having our hearts melted by the grace of God with salvation and everything else he gives afterwards. We're to be filled with praise and gratitude and thanksgiving. So as we look at this story, we see, number one, God owes us nothing. So everything he gives us is grace. And we see that we're to be thankful like the leper. We're to understand that what we have is of grace, that what we have is the mercy of God and the love of God and the compassion of God because we are the men and women with spiritual leprosy. And we are to be thankful for what God has given us. And at the same time, we are to turn and be gracious and we're to give like Jesus. So we're to be like the man with leprosy who came back with a heart full of thankfulness. And we need to be like the Messiah who gives and is gracious. During this season of the year, we must understand that we have to be a people who are full of thanks and giving. And in reality, the more thankful you are, the more giving you will be. They're linked together. So we don't just give thanks, but we give. We have compassion on people. And there's no telling what God will do with a church that is full of thanks and giving. What will God do with us? What will God do with this church if we all determine we are going to be people of thanks and praise and we are going to be people who are generous and gracious and giving? There is no telling what God will do with the people that dedicate themselves to that.